actual calling, and we'll let the let the papers get out and about, and then we'll we'll dive in. But I was we've been talking a lot of football already. Whether you are mourning or celebrating, uh, blowout. I'm gonna call it, term it blowout Saturday. <laughs> what a wonderful day to be in God's house. Beautiful day, and and uh, we are reminded today of of this calling that is a is a total work of God's grace and it's a it's a great chapter I hope you um, you get out of it what I did just studying I, I still stand in amazement when I go back and look at passages and um, just the the study and the truths that are tucked in here and just makes you love God that much more um, we are as we say over and over and over, we bring nothing to this equation but our sin. But let's do this first. Let's look at, you know, we've, we've joked around about how the, the confession can sometimes be really wordy, a lot of commas, semicolons, run-on sentences. But in the words of R.C. Sproul, this particular chapter, chapter 10 of The Effectual Calling, says this one is, has one of the best, it's one of the, known for its clarity and precision. And what's going on here is it describes the gracious operation of the Holy Spirit. So let's take one step back here. If you're into your hymn books, everybody please get your hymn book out because it'll this this is really neat to see the roadmap here, where we are, where we've been, and where this is going. We're gonna get into a term this morning called Ordo Salutis. <laughs> I see the professor coming in right as that term comes up. The order of salvation. If you flip back in your in your uh, hymn book to page eight fifty, you're going to see chapter three of God's eternal decree, chapter five of providence. These terms, these great theological terms of foreknowledge, predestination, come up. You're going to see in chapter ten the effectual calling. Then look at chapter 11 of justification, chapter 12 of adoption, chapter 13 of sanctification. And these, these come in that order as far as the work of salvation. And then you're going to see later in chapter, I think that's a 17, of the perseverance of the saints. And then we're going to talk about glorification. We're going to Jump back in and dissect today chapter 10 of Effectual Calling. With that being said, let me open us in prayer. Lord, what a privilege it is to be here before you. And Father, I just thank you and I'm so encouraged by everyone in this room. And Father, what great news, the Effectual Calling, that you, you call us out of pure grace into your, into your kingdom, Father. And we're going to see what, what all that means today. And Father, bless us today, and may these truths sink deep in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's jump right in here. Let's read paragraph one. All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they were by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills 
and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. Let's jump right into what we what theologians have called the golden chain of salvation. Can someone read Romans 8, 29 through 30? And look at this progression as you read this. Romans 8, 29 through 30. And I'll apologize on the front end. I was gone most of the week. Some of these passages, the verses are a little different, and we'll just hang with me, but these are some great proof text here. But Romans 8, 29 through 30, someone read that. For those who went before you, who also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, those who predestined, who also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. There we go. There's your golden chain right there. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. We're going to see some other terms that will be in that line as well. So we have this effectual call. Now, we have two types of calling. We have the outward call, that is the preaching, teaching of the Word, singing of the Word, the gospel message. Then we have the inward call, which is the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. So you see in here, to effectually to call in line three, by His Word and Spirit. Someone please read 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. It's going to hit on this Word and Spirit. In the truth. And what is the truth? His word. Now, so God takes his word, whether it's preached, read, taught, sung, and in his appointed time, look at what they say here, in his appointed and accepted time, and sends it straight to our hearts. And this this transition, we have a new heart. We are new creations. One of the best verses I ever read, I was a very young believer in RUF back in college, and I went to a little brown bag lunch, and they talked about, we're going to hit it later, about the order of salvation, that the heart must be changed before you can believe and have faith, but also that we become new creations. And we started on a memory list, two verses a week, and the first two verses were 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 2.20. Could someone please read... 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is a wonderful verse that goes right in line with this paragraph. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is going to be pretty familiar to most of you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. The new has come. He's a new creation. God has effectively called that person. The heart has changed. They're a new creation. Someone please read Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. We're going to see this heart of stone and this transition to the heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. 
awesome. This effectual calling, it changes the heart. The heart, the will, the desires, they have completely changed. God has quickened the heart. Someone please read John 6, 37 through 39. John 6, and this is that effectually drawing them to Christ. John 6, 37 through 39. Excellent, excellent. So we have this effectually drawing them to Christ. That was his mission. Last sentence of paragraph one, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. This effectual call is a 100% success rate, and people don't go kicking and screaming into heaven or following Christ. They come most freely. Listen to this quote out of Van Dixhorn's book. <clears throat> to put it differently, the Holy Spirit makes us see how lovely the gospel is, and then we freely crave it. For many Christians, this scriptural teaching on God's effectual call, call is full of comfort. I know it is for me. It is reassuring for preachers to know that every word preached will find its target and do its work because each is guided by the Spirit of God. It is a comfort for believers to know that when God intends to add to His church, Nothing will stop him, because by his almighty power, his grace is irresistible and therefore always effectual. Let us continue to pray that he will call sinners to himself. Perhaps today he will call someone whom you have been praying for many years. If you all remember, Sartell used to always talk about pray for three people that are not believers. And he said, you'll never stop the habit once you get, once you get started. So now we go into chapter, excuse me, paragraph two here. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein. They, 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 make, it, they make it real clear, man, that's no part in this equation, don't they? Until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. So what we have here is a real good analysis. God's grace and our total helplessness. What, what do we bring to this equation? Nothing but our sin, right? The call is special. It is direct and personal. The call is gracious. It's no cost to us but it's a tremendous cost to God, and it is alone. And you're going to see in this, in your tulip, you gave that out, it's really, really good. This section on the effectual calling talks about the irresistible grace or the effectual grace. This, you'll see where Sproul goes into detail about monar, monergism, that this is accomplished by a single worker. It's nothing foreseen in man and man is not part of the equation at all. It's not a 50-50 God and man. It's not 99%, 1% God and man. It is special grace from God alone, accomplished by a single worker. 
this part about foreseen, uh, many denominations are, have, they're just in plain error here. They think that God sees something good or unique in us that motivates Him to come to us. That is not what Scripture teaches. Let's look at what Tyler just taught on several months ago. Paul's layout in Ephesians chapter 2, and this just drives this point home. Someone please read Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, and then jump to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, and then jump to 8 through 10. That may not be the... It's Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. I'm sorry. And then Ephesians 2, same chapter, 8 through 10. Perfect, perfect. This initial step, this heart change, this heart surgery is 100% by God and the Holy Spirit. And Sproul goes, if you've ever read any of his books, he'll say this over and over and over. It's what, what's this big theological term of the heart change? Regeneration. And he will always say regeneration precedes faith. Can't have faith until the heart is changed. And regeneration precedes repentance. Can't have faith and believe, can't ask for forgiveness unless there's a heart change first. All right? So this, the divines nail this here. They say, until being quickened and renewed. That's a term for coming alive. And both those terms together, you can just write on your sheet, regeneration. Regeneration. This is the keynote regeneration verse that we've looked at before. I did not put it on your sheet. Please write it in there. John, and somebody please read it. John 3, 3 through 8. This is the keynote re regeneration verse in the New Testament. John 3, 3 through 8. Someone can please read that.
sovereign work of God right there. We, we, don't know, we can't see the wind. We don't know where it's coming from or where, what it's about to do. It's the sovereign work of God. Look at this sheet, if you would. I dug this out of my Bible. I've had this since, I think, the fall of 89. If y'all, do y'all see this real ugly handwriting? Did y'all all get a sheet of this? This is, this is something else I learned. A great RUF minister, Ordo Salutis. We talked about it a little earlier, and you'll see how the confession just walks you right through it. That's a Latin term meaning the order of salvation. So we looked at first in Romans 8, 29 through 30. Is that sheet... Yeah. Oh, no one has it. I'm sorry. Yes, let's all get that out. Let me slow down here because this is really, really neat. And you're going to see this middle section here. But if you look back at the very first verse we looked at, Romans 8, 29 through 30, pop quiz, what is that termed by many theologians, the blank chain of blank? The Romans 8, 29 through 30. The, the golden chain of salvation. So that's why I put it in, on your sheet, put Romans 8, 29 through 30. But you'll see how this, in that Romans 8, 29 through 30, you'll see five terms. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. Now, in this order of salutis, You'll see where it fills in the gaps here. And you'll see my really bad writing. When I first learned this, it was every other skip a line. And then as I read more and more, I plugged in some of this. And when you see this effectual calling, third step in the chain, what comes right after that? Regeneration, right? All right then we have justification, but we have regeneration. And again, it's preceding, look in the parentheses, preceding faith and repentance. Then we're adopted into God's family. Then there's sanctification, that process of trying to be more holy the rest of your life. And RUF minister said it's a battle. It's a lifelong battle of trying to be more holy, loving God and serving Him more, and hating your sin more and more. Then we get into perseverance or the preservation of the saints and then glorification. But you see, does that help a little bit to set? That opened my eyes so much as a 21, 22-year-old that God has to change the heart first. And that's what comes and then what comes after that. Chap, this is next paragraph. This, is, this one has been viewed as one of the tougher ones in the confession. But if you really look at it and see how God works, it's actually, it's actually great news. And let me go back just a second. Here's, here's what Sproul talks about before we jump into paragraph three. And, and as Carol read it with the being dead in sins out of Ephesians and how it's all about God changing us. We enter the house of God as people who understand that we were once dead and now we are alive. If we're not getting that message across in here then we're doing something bad wrong. But I think, we, I think we do it well as a church. We were blind and now we see. We had no affection in our heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now our heart pants for the Lord as a deer pants for the water. This is not because we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Again, it's nothing in us. But because God 
in his great love and mercy poured out upon us and has rescued us from the grave. He has reached down and plucked us out. This should overwhelm us with joy and gratitude. And then he, he quotes a professor from Amsterdam. He says, once said that the essence of theology is grace and that the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. We must always be, have a heart of gratitude. What a gift. What a gift. We should never as Christians be moping around not joyful of our salvation. That should be our number one priority and the number one mark of who we are because we have responded to Christ as people who understand that grace is truly graciousness and that we have not earned our status in his kingdom one iota. It's all about him. Now let's move into paragraph three. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Let's work this one kind of backwards here. We've got two categories, but it's really one. They talk about elect infants and then all other persons incapable of being outwardly called. So remember back in paragraph one, we talked about the word and the spirit. Well, the word is, the, is basically the preaching, teaching, hearing of the word. There are some that cannot and will never be able to hear that. And what's great about this is, it's, this section is reminding us that it's God who summons us to salvation. And this should always be viewed as great news because here, he's able, well think about this for a second, he's absolutely able to renew and regenerate a human heart. This is the same God who spoke all of creation into existence, right? His son comes to earth, he defeats death, he walks out of a tomb. That's the same power of creation, resurrection, and this power of this regenerative work. So we should always view this as good news. We're saved by Christ, and these people, let, let's, let's take a look at these categories. What's interesting here is they're not able to hear or digest the word, but they are still called by the saving work of Christ through the Spirit. Only the manner has changed. It's actually more grace because the formula of word and spirit is now just spirit. Y'all follow that? Is that all right? So, and, and let's let's go backwards a couple more steps. These elect infants and others with disabilities, incapable of hearing the word, the outward call of the ministry. Let's, let's go back to the children first. The kingdom of heaven all throughout the Bible is well represented and characterized by childlike faith. Someone please read Luke 18, 15 through 16. Luke 18, 15 through 16. Children come to me who do not hinder them, for the 
Excellent, excellent. And let me say this, we could go, this one, you can look at other proof text here. You can look at study manuals. It goes on. Let me hit a couple of real good points I think will give everyone comfort here about this, this teaching. Reformed tradition has long held, and when, they, when you hear that word, has held, their position is that Scripture teaches this, that the children of believers are numbered among the elect, okay, and are saved. Let's look at this for a minute. I don't know if this is in your Bible. I've got an NIV, and I was looking at my ESV. It didn't have it, but it had something that was really good right after it. But in Genesis 9, my Bible gets into the major covenants in the Old Testament. Do you all see that? And you get into the covenant with Noah, Abraham, the Sinaitic covenant, which is the Ten Commandments, basically, the Davidic covenant and the royal grant, the new covenant, and it describes who it's to and who it's with. And it always talks about it is for, like the one with Abraham, for instance, divine pledge of Abraham to Abraham and for his descendants, his children. And we always talk about covenant theology. It's with the believers and their children. So please tuck that away. Here's another really good one here. Remember the story of David and his infant son who died with Bathsheba? Someone flip to 2 Samuel 12, 22. Very short verse, but very profound. 2 Samuel 12, 22. Is it verse 20? Let's see. Go one more verse. I'm sorry. Right. I will go to him. So where is that child? In heaven. All right. Let's look at this quote of Van Dixhorn here. He says this. He says, before we close on this topic, and he, and he says this, and hopefully I'm handling this with, with care and humility. He says, before we close, one more note is necessary. This section discusses what God can do, but we do not know who are chosen by God. Back to the John 3, the, the wind, the, you know, it's God's sovereign choice. But it says this, so let Christian parents remember not only God's power, but also His mercy. Let us remember that our children were His way before they were ours. And let us, by His grace, live in faith in the power of the gospel as believers and not fear in the depravity of man. That gave me great comfort reading that. Final verse on this one, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Then we move into the last one. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. And again, some of these are not written. Please write this one down. This one's a good one. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Right. So what it's telling us as believers is, and this is kind of a flip of this, 
we are commissioned to our job is to go out and proclaim the outward call we don't know how the spirit will move but we are to profess the gospel and what did it say again paul somebody watered apollos called watered but god all we can do is scatter the seed and, and do the watering we cannot change an unbeliever's heart but we are to proclaim the word profess the outward call last paragraph others not elected although may, they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the spirit yet never truly come unto christ and therefore cannot be saved much and it kind of stop it right there you can put a little slash in there much less can men not professing the Christian religion be saved in any other way whatsoever, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the laws of that religion which they do profess. In other words, they're saying they do real well at their rules and regulations and their requirements, but to assert that there's any other way, look at the last sentence, and to assert and maintain that they may is very pernicious and to be detested. Let's, let's back up on this one. Two categories again. Those professing they are saved, but they are unsaved. They may have heard God's word, but never the true inward effectual call from God. There's never been a heart change. Okay, Someone please read, Matthew twenty two fourteen, and then somebody be ready with the John, but it's actually John 6, 64 through 65, only two verses, but I'm going to shift here one more time. Matthew twenty two fourteen. Can somebody read that? It's actually 22. It's twenty two fourteen. And then John 6, 64 through 65. There are some of you who do not believe. If you excuse me to go on to that those who do not believe, I do not ask you not to perish. But he says, this is why I told you, if anyone complains about me, ask him to make friends of me. Right. So the thought granted him by the Father. Again, God's sovereignty in salvation. Then we jump into those on the back half of this, those clearly not professing any belief in Christ. Let's go to two keynote verses, and you all know these. John 14, 6 says what? You don't have to flip to it. And? Exactly. Someone read Acts 4, 12. Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other way. No other way, period. Okay? These other religions not professing, the, what I call the other fallen religions, and you can just rattle them off, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Worship of Baal, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're all missing crucial elements of Christ's atonement, the resurrection, 
the effectual call from the Holy Spirit. And you, get, you, you hear this argument of fairness. Well, that, that just doesn't... Have you all ever heard that before from an unbeliever? That just doesn't seem fair. God's got to be more fair than that. Well, the, the entire Bible after the fall of man is describing how that redemption and that restoration, right, after that, after that rebellion and how we can get, how God, we can get back to Him and it's Him doing the work. Here's what Sproul said. He said, this question of fairness, when the question is posed, why is there only one way? He said, the question should be, why has God given us any way to be saved? We get way more than we deserve. Let's wrap it up with this. So, and again, this is telling us and teaching us, you don't dabble with someone or their teaching that is, is teaching a false gospel at all. I've got a great story to tell you after this verse. Somebody read 2 John, 2 John, not John chapter 2, but 2 John 9 through 11. And this is hitting on this... Um, yeah, and to, to, to assert and maintain that they may is very is to be detested. All right, this pernicious, that's a harmful effect in a subtle way. And Sproul says, can't get too much worse than pernicious here. And they say it is very pernicious and to be detested. 2 John 9 through 11. All right, well, pretty straightforward. And let me tell you a great story on my absolutely Bible-believing, wonderful mentor mother, who, by the way, will be 86 tomorrow. So y'all greet her with a birthday hug. Mom read this, and I have seen her do it, and it made a huge impression on me. And she would tell me about it. It's, it's not, it didn't happen once. It happened multiple times. When the Jehovah's Witnesses would come to her door, they would ask to come in and talk. And she would say, now, honey, I can't let you in. She said, she said 2 John 9, 11 says, and, and she's as serious as she could be. She said, you are you're, you're a cult. It is a false gospel. You are not professing the name of Christ. You are, you're, you're a false religion. I will certainly pray for your soul and that you learn and realize that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And she said, I'm not allowed to, to allow you in, but I, I will certainly be praying for you. What is your name? And then she would, she would end it right there. And I mean, she was following that to the letter. Read that one more time. I just, uh, that popped up on the pernicious verse, and I thought, well, that's, so, and y'all can, not to joke around, but that is the proper biblical response. Remember that pernicious, that 
harmful in a subtle way. If you sit there and listen and dabble in it, you're, you're dabbling in complete error. Last two, and to be detested, the Apostle Paul cursed these people that were false teachers. Look at last two verses and we'll close. First Corinthians, right at the bottom of the sheet. Someone please read 1 Corinthians 16, 22, and someone be ready with Galatians 1, 6 through 8. And then Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Let him be a crook. If you're getting taught, or if you're hearing a false gospel, let that person be accursed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this firm message from the effectual calling today. And Father, we praise you. This is good news. Father, that we are the hunted, we are pursued by you, we are loved by you. Father, you have changed our hearts. You have performed a miraculous surgical transition on our hearts and our wills and our desires. Father, may we love you more and more because of these truths, and may we strive to be obedient, Father, to profess the message of good news, to scatter the seed, to water it, Father. Father, may we, be, may we love you and may we hate our sin more as we mature in our faith, and may we love you more and more and those in your church more and more. Father, we just thank you for this body and all the blessings you give us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.